Welcome to the Geekcentric Podcast, and welcome to our Watch Club for Andor. Let them see how an insurgency adapts. Welcome to Watch Club. My name is Nate, and this is our Watch Club for Disney and Lucasfilms and or episodes four to six. If you're joining us for the first time, this is Watch Club, our weekly review series, kind of like a book club, but way better. Keep in mind, we will be going into full spoilers for this series and Star Wars in general. So if you haven't watched these episodes yet, be sure to do so, and then come right back in less than 12 parsecs. Now, before we join a seemingly impossible heist, let me introduce you to my trusted partner joining me today. He's the droid-dropping, helmet-popping, empire-stopping rebel spy who's always down for a dry run after a few Dagobah slug slingers. He's Darcy Dank Ferrick Hudson. I, I, again, you always leave me speechless with these intros. I never know where to go <laughs> from what you build up off of. I love it. Well, have you have you had a Dagobah slug slinger? I, I looked up drinks at uh, Oga's Cantina. Have you had one of those yet? I, I mean, I've, I think I've drank half the menu there now, so I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if I had. <laughs> At least one or one or two might have yeah. slipped in there. Uh, Darcy, before we dive into this Watch Club episode, I wanted to take a moment to ask you a question. Uh, you know, one of the things I think we love about this series is that we're seeing a slightly more diverse galaxy uh, than what we're used to with Star Wars. You know, it's not all sand planets, <laughs> which is so refreshing <laughs> uh, for this series and for Star Wars in general. I want to know, uh, if you had the chance to run away with hundreds of millions of credits, which planet would you run away to? I you got maybe it's because of where we grew up. Uh, you know, going up north to the cottage in the summer like that was a very big part of my childhood, and I've always mm. loved the outdoors and and lakes in particular for that reason. So I'd probably have to go ahead and say Naboo because I feel like it would you know hit both those boxes of nice lush green landscapes and then beautiful lakes so i think that probably where i go and hide out if i had to oh dude a hundred percent i would you jump around on those um <laughs> what are they called shock s-h-a-a-k I, I just looked it up here the you know the thing that anakin's like running on top of and then falls off of is him and padme are oh, in the field yes would you uh, be, would you be jumping on one of those running around <laughs> No, I'd probably just, you know, drive by it on the way to the lake or something like that. There I wouldn't spend my time playing with those <laughs> things. <laughs> but you could roll around in the fields and then maybe, you know, someone might think you're hurt and then run to your aid and then, you know, I don't know. It could be very romantic. Eh, again, I feel like a lake is a better romantic setting than a pasture. <laughs> true, true. I don't know what, I don't know, I have no idea what Hannah Kim was thinking. Um, For me, <laughs> dude, get me out of the, get me out of the... The farmlands uh, get me all the way to Coruscant. I I want to get myself a really incredible studio apartment and just go shopping and go to Luthen's shop. Like like he seems like he's just got like like he has the equivalent of all the things that we would care about if we lived in the star in the Star Wars universe as as big mm -hmm. geeks. Like all the collectibles um, and like dude, just fancy dinners every night. Like the nightlife on Coruscant has got to be pretty popping. I yeah, I mean, it probably is, but I also feel like you'd be going through your your you know heist savings at that point very quickly. It seems like you'd be it's like true. living downtown it's in true. Toronto or something like that. It's true. Where... I would just eat all the way through it, and then I would just be back on the farmland planet. You'd find me. I'd have all this stuff, and I'd just show up at your door on uh, <laughs> on Naboo and just be 
be like, dude, I'll sleep with the shocks. I don't care. I'll go sleep with them. Just give me a place to stay and somewhere to put all my my whatever the <laughs> Star Wars equivalent of Funko Pops are. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, all right. Well, listen, we have a ton to get through with these four episodes. And I think we, you know, I think we really want to get to episode six, but uh, but I've got some interesting stuff for, for episodes four and five as well. First off, I do want to thank Lindsay over at nerdsandbeyond.com for her excellent recaps uh, that helped me put all these sort of descriptions together. I slightly changed them and, and, and rearranged them for, for what we're doing here, but um, you know, definitely check out nerdsandbeyond.com uh, if you ever need a good recap. Um, all right, let's start off with episode four, uh, which is titled Aldani, uh, directed by Susanna White. It starts off uh, right where we left Cassian and Luthen back on his ship, escaping the Primor security officers as they make their way to Aldani. Luthen tells Cassian to hold on as they make the jump to light speed. Uh, Cassian comments that he's never seen a Fondor Hallcraft do that before, uh, and uh, and... Uh, Luthen says, well, it's been a, a day of surprises for all of us. After Cassian sips on some Mednog to help, you know, the pain in his arm go away, Luthen says you have two choices. Either he drops you, you know, he dr- drops him somewhere uh, and he starts running, or he can join him and help with something important. He asks if he really wants to put a stick in the eye of the Empire and get paid for it. Um, so let's let's dig into this, this sequence here, uh, starting with the mention of like all the different sects of the various rebels. Um, and it's something that I don't think we think about too often when we think of like, oh, the collective rebel alliance is just the rebel alliance. But here we're seeing them all all split up. Um, the alliance, the, the guerrilla, the partisan front. Um, it just shows how split the rebellion is at this point. Do you think? Do you think that that's for strategic purposes? Like, is that purposeful, or do you think it's out of necessity because they don't have enough funds to like unite their forces? I feel like it's kind of a bit of column A, column B. There, uh, I feel like a lot of these rebel things we've talked about, or at least I've brought up in the past. I feel like they were all rising up at the same time for different reasons across the galaxy, and it was more later on in their, you know formation of their resistance that they come together with these other rebel factions. So yeah, yeah, I feel like it's, they are split up because they started split up and now they're slowly coming together and don't know how to work together so much. I, th- I feel like that's kind of where we're sitting in the rebel uh, alliance right now. Yeah. I think, I think you, the idea of them not knowing how to work together, mm-hmm. but also I think there's gotta be a lot of discourse between them. I mean, even with the group that we do get to see, you know, through these episodes, there's already so much sort of, um, discourse they they don't they don't necessarily fully trust each other and i think that the, some of these different groups have different ways at which they believe they should fight back like clearly um the partisan front which is sagrera's group they're the extremists in the war and you know the alliance is you, you can see with with luthan and his group they're much quieter they take their time they're a little bit more uh, maybe they're a little more precise as opposed to just gun ho um, and we also learn later in the episode when we see um, uh, Karis asleep and Arvel tells him that Sagarera would put uh, his head on a pike for a laugh uh, if they caught him sleeping at this point. So it, it's one of those things where, like, I think that they just maybe don't all work the same way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they haven't gotten to that point yet because we don't have a collective leader in someone like Amon Mothma where you know, she is sort of the, the face for, for all the decisions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, I think it's a lot, like you said, because I feel like, sorry, 
Yeah, I think it's because, like, like I said, they started out separately that they, again, have these different belief systems. It kind of only makes sense that they would fight back in different things given the different situations that they were, you know, being oppressed in and then rising up against. So it makes a lot of sense for all these different points of view. And I, I'm really looking forward to seeing how the show will explore the growth of their relationship between these rebel uh, sects. Totally. And we got uh, we got a mention of Mimban. Do you remember Mimban from the only other spin-off movie that isn't as good as Rogue One. You remember that uh, that movie? I, I do. I enjoyed that movie. Thank you very much. I just yeah. don't remember the character that you're mentioning. Or, or... No, no. The the planet of Mimban. We got oh, um, no, in sorry, Solo. Yeah, yeah. That's where Han Solo met Chewbacca. Um, but it's nuts to uh... think that Cassian could have been making food that Han Solo ate while he was in that <laughs> war. Like, because he, he was a chef, right? Like, I think Luthen calls him out on that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I never thought of that. Again, I'm not the best at remembering these planets that we see for, you know, few seconds or anything like that. It usually takes me a while to go, uh, you know, retain that information, but mm-hmm. uh, always cool to see these connections being formed. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And I think, I think it's kind of neat to the idea of like getting a deeper understanding of how they go about actually stumping the empire. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Cassian noting that he's never seen a Fondor Hallcraft make the jump to light speed. And so that's gotta be how Luthen is avoiding the Imperial forces and, and kind of like they wouldn't ever expect, you know, mm-hmm. a craft like that to be able to to do those sort of things. So he's probably made a ton of escapes where they've where maybe the Imperial forces have sort of rested on their their laurels of just like, oh, no, there's there's no way he's well, going to escape. Yeah, we'll just track gone. him. We'll track yeah. him as long as he's in the system type thing. But as soon as yeah. he jumps out of the system, they're like, oh, crap, what was that type thing? I, I love it. I mean, it makes a lot of sense for this guy to how he's getting around to all these places. If he's able to lead this double life, it makes sense that his ship would just be made to fly under the radar quite literally it's yeah his ship is is living a double life just like mm-hmm. he is i love that mm-hmm. i love that um and then lastly uh that line that luthan says to cassian you'll ultimately die fighting these bastards which i mean that's for that's it's such a great retroactive foreshadowing right mm-hmm. because it, that's exactly what happens and i love i love that this is the very moment that he really signed up for what happens to him in rogue one like this was the exact moment that if that, that sort of changed his course of his life. And in episode three, when he's telling Luthen how he sneaks in, you know, past the Empire, pretending to be one of them again, it's, I just think it's so cool how this show is retro, retroactively laying the foundational moments that define For, his character. It's yeah. So good. It's, it so is, good. it's incredible. It's the way that we're getting these, these peaks at the character we know to come just has me so hopeful to, to see that growth because already they're laying the foundation for an already believable transformation. So I can't wait to see how this, his story plays out over these two seasons. It's awesome. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. So let's get to this next section here uh, on Coruscant. We're introduced to Deidre Muro. She enters the uh, ISB or the Imperial security bureau. And we see a meeting between her and all the other ISB supervisors. Uh, we see Deidre watching closely as her colleagues attempt and fail to impress ISB officer Partigaz. Uh, during an Imperial Security Bureau meeting, they discuss the corporate security incident on Ferrix. Uh, Cassian's stolen Imperial Star Path unit was uh, was discovered there. Uh, after the meeting, Supervisor Dira Midra, sorry, Dedra Miro begins to look further into the Star Path unit that was retrieved from the site. Uh, this should now give her jurisdiction over the incident. When another member of the Bureau refuses to turn over the files from the incident, she goes to speak with him personally, but he won't budge. Ferrix is his sector. Uh, 
The two of them bring the issue to their superior, and Daedra pleads for him uh, to understand that she strongly believes what occurred may be related to the rebellion. He dismisses her suspicions. So for, let's just get into it here. What did we think of our introduction to uh, Dedra Miro and her pursuit as an ISB agent? I loved it. I mean, I, I recognize the guy who's uh, refusing the files from... Uh, I'm a fan of Taskmaster, so I know him as a comedian and a rapper in, in oh, the UK. Oh, really? And so seeing him in this role was... At first, I'm like, oh, I know that guy. And then seeing the character he plays and just how even in the ISB, there is still such infighting because they're trying to one up on each other and keep stuff close to the chest just so they can get ahead. I love that we're getting to see this side in uh, of the Empire in live action because it has been explored in the Thrawn novels a bit. But to see it cut like it's so widespread that no matter where you are in the ranking, you're still going to be fighting someone trying to get ahead. I love it. It's so cool. And the character, I can't wait to see how her story grows because clearly there's, they're showing or spending so much time with her for a reason. Yeah. And I I think it's, um, it's interesting too. Like we had a chance to speak to Denise Gulp and she talked about the idea that like, you know, she's, I've seen her in other interviews and she's, she's talked about the idea of like the fact that she takes on roles of women who, um, are so much more capable than where they're stationed mm-hmm. and how, you know, it's interesting because you do see Dedra very much so in this, put into this position of like, you know, Partagas notices that she's, she is better and, and, and should be taking over this, this sector. Um, but he just says, you know what, stay quiet, stay in the background. It's better for you if you do. Uh, and obviously she, she doesn't, I think she's, she's great. I think she's a badass. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think we've gotten to see her do too much, even even you know in the in by episode six. But you can see her and Cyril are traversing very similar paths. Um, but again, she's also she's got it's it's the fact that she's seemingly like one of two women in her position. Like there's mm-hmm. only one other woman that was at that table, uh, and just the way that she straight up isn't taking any shit from Blevin. Um, Blevin, by the way, is played by Ben Bailey Smith. Um, Ben Bla- Ben Bailey Smith is that as that actor that you were referring to? Yes, yeah. Earlier, like Doc Brown is his is like rap name or a com- comedic stage name type thing. Yes, she's a yeah. funny guy. And then, <laughs> and then um, Partagaz, um, who's played by Anton Lesser uh, from you would know from Game of Thrones, mm. plays mm-hmm. that that Meister guy. <laughs> the, the creepy, the creepy black Meister guy. I don't know. Yeah. He's just a creep. <laughs> He's a creep. Um, but yeah, he's he's fantastic in this. But yeah, I, I'm I'm stoked to see more of uh, more of Dedra. Uh, mm-hmm. So let's keep going here. The Imperial Security Bureau Bureau reprimands and punishes Cyril Karn and his colleagues, including Sergeant Mosk and Chief Inspector Hine, after a strict word from Lieutenant Supervisor Blevin. Uh, we we learn that moving forward, the Morlana system is now under strict Imperial authority. So obviously ashamed of his actions, Cyril packs his bags and returns home all mopey like. And his mother answers the door and slaps him in the face and then hugs him real tight as she invites him in. So Cyril must, must be feeling pretty down on himself. What did you think of this, uh, this take? You know, what do you think? Sorry. What do you think this takeover means for Ferrex? Uh, and what did you think of Cyril's mama give him the old Willie Smith? Um, <laughs> the first thing I could think of with uh, the Ferrex takeover just leads me to think that we're going to probably see another rebel faction 
born from that planet because we see that the, when the emperor empire kind of tightens its hold, that's when these resistances and rebellions kind of come to fruition at totally. least on the planet itself. So that's what the Ferrix thing has me thinking. Uh, and then as for, um, I don't know what his, what his name is again. I just keeps, I keep forgetting it every time I see him. Cyril. Uh, Cyril. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so with Cyril's mom, I'm in his whole situation. I just, I'm confused. I'm wondering where it's going to go. Uh, mm-hmm. I feel bad for the guy. He clearly d- did not have a very good childhood or his yeah. mom was very overbearing or I don't know what it was. He just does not want to be there. So yeah, it's, it's, I'm curious to see as to why we're spending so much time with him. Like he clearly has more of a story to tell. So when, when will that come? <laughs> right. And I, I'm wondering if like, you know, he clearly is is upset to be going home. I don't think he necessarily enjoys um, being around his mother. And so clearly him being uh, having a day job and having a job where he can stay away from home has been something that he's he's really mm-hmm. needed in his life. And you can tell he's such a perfectionist here by the way she talks to him. Um, and I just wonder if like if this is going to drive him further into the Empire's beliefs or do you think it's possible this could set him up to flip sides in the sense of like they've already betrayed him now? Or is he going to double down and and like know that there's more to the Empire than what he's seen on Ferex? Or do you think he's going to uh, potentially maybe make the jump over because he's, you know what, I'm done with it. I don't want to deal with it anymore. It's hard for me to say because I, I want to say yes, he's going to make that jump. But I also feel like he ha- he can't forgive the Rebels or at least, you know, Cassian for you know, causing the, all those deaths on his, with his escape and stuff like that. Cause those, right. like that, those, the blood was on his hands. Yeah. He was so gung ho about tracking down these, these rebels on his planet or whatever, these, the, the, the criminals. And I don't, know, I feel like the guilt, I don't know if he hates Cassian. Like, I, I don't know. It's a weird, you know, thing where he, will he hate the empire more depending on how they just left him to dry mm-hmm. or like left him high and dry or will he, double down on his hate for the rebels for putting him in this position. So I, I can see it going both ways. I really don't know how, uh, what's up with that. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be, mm-hmm. he reminds me a lot of that. Um, who was that rebels character that played? Uh, he was like the, uh, Calor, No, Calix. No. Callus. You're, you're getting close. Agent Callus. Yeah. Yeah. He does remind me a little bit of agent Callus in that way. Right. Mm-hmm. Like yes, where you yeah. can totally see that that flip happening spoilers for mm-hmm. rebels but again we said spoilers <laughs> for all of star wars so get with it um all right let's let's keep going here having agreed to the mission luthan drops off cassian uh on aldani to meet with the team's leader vel though vel is initially hostile about the idea of taking on uh clem uh luthan manages to convince her that cassian is a valuable asset cassian and vel make their way back to camp as she warns him that the others cannot know about luthan He's baffled to learn that they're actually robbing the Imperial Armory at the Aldani Garrison. Suddenly, the mission has just become much more dangerous, especially considering there are only seven of them now, counting Cassian. When they get to the camp, most of the crew is hesitant about the introduction of an outsider so late in the game. Val makes up an excuse as to why she's brought Clem in and now leaves no room for argument. Later, when the team walks Cassian through the plans of the, for the heist, a small-scale model that they've built to illustrate the armory, uh, he's initially put off by how improbable it all seems. 
However, they've carefully planned this entire mission around a celestial event, which only occurs once every three years, that will provide the much-needed distraction that they'll use to escape in just three days. So what did we think of Vel and her small insurgency group? And there's some speculation going around online, and, I like, again, the whole aspect of, like, Everyone has to be related to everyone in Star Wars, but there is some speculation going on that Vel could be Luthen's daughter. What do you think? I never even went there with that yeah. uh, relationship. I I think it's really interesting to see what some other rebels who are already you know gung ho for the cause look like at this stage. And again, the, the ideas for the heist here and the you know the group they've assembled with each of them having their own specialty felt again. Super typical heist, but in a Star Wars setting. And I I loved that aspect of it. And the fact that, again, as we're supposed to be following Andor as the main character, his reluctance to jump in there is so easily understood. Basically, looking at this unsurmountable task ahead of him with, you mm-hmm. know, robbing a whole garrison, relying on some star event or whatever. Like, it's... I loved this whole premise and the way they introduced these characters. So, I, it was... To me, this is a great way to kick off this, you know, three episode arc of a of a heist scenario. Absolutely, yeah, and it's nice that they didn't just like just tr- go straight to the heist. Like they mm-hmm. they took their time with it to the point where, like, I was talking to Justin about this off air, but like, you could literally take these episodes three at a time and m- merge them all together as like a mega episode, um, mm-hmm. or, you know, or a movie. It it kind of reminds me a little bit of um, sort of the way that the UK the the you know, the BBC does their their episodes, right? With like something like Sherlock, where the episodes are like movie length. Mm-hmm. Um, you could totally, once the series is all out, you could probably binge them in that way. Um, and I feel like it would even be a little bit better than than even just waiting week to week. Yeah, the, the week to week definitely, I think, affects my excitement levels because after one episode, I'm just like, oh, that's where it's ending, but I want to know what's next and stuff like that. So the week to week definitely is killer in that regard. Yeah. Totally. I love that he calls himself Clem as a nod to his adopted father. Mm -hmm. Uh, We saw in the flashbacks of episode three, and it's almost as a tribute. But I did find it odd that Luthen, who seems to have at least known that Cassian, you know, how Cassian's dad died, that he wouldn't know. Like he didn't he didn't acknowledge it or nod to it or anything like that. He I think he just accepted it. But I I, I was expecting to kind of have some sort of like look or something that made us know that because because he knew that how he died and he's he's probably mm-hmm. looked a lot of information up about Cassian in particular yeah yeah I mean to me that's just something that maybe he smiled as he was turning around I don't need something to linger on that you know moment there's so much more to this story than just those these little nods as, as sweet as they are yeah yeah I and just on this group entirely it's just I think they're like nothing we've really seen from the rebellion before, right? Like we've we've not really seen these characters. I mean, even with Saw Gerrera and his partisan group, like they're still you know having a party and like playing playing Sabak or, or or you know whatever that you know the 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 version of Hollow Chess, the non digital version of Hollow Chess in the background, um, <laughs> whatever that Dejaric, right? Dejaric, they're, they're, yeah. They're playing that, um, and like, but we you know these people really barely crack a smile at any point in time like they don't seem to be happy in any way <laughs> I, well, I mean a, a, kind of understandable uh yeah. Val even said that they were there for five months and they've been living in in such tense conditions under constant fear of being discovered by these patrols I mean I wouldn't be surprised if if they were all just you know 
unhappy people because that is some very tense situations to be living in. Totally. Totally. Um, all right. Well, as his ship approaches Coruscant, uh, Luthen slips on a disguise and gets into character for the role he's about to play as a shopkeeper. Senator Mon Mothma arrives at the shop under the ruse that she's in search of a birthday gift for her husband. With her escort distracted, Luthen takes her into the back, and Mothma, Mon Mothma has been funneling money to the rebellion. Uh, sorry, to the Rebel Alliance. But there are too many spies now, and moving it around has become much more difficult for her. She tells him that she's found someone that she thinks can help, uh, that she wants to bring into the circle. Um, so what did you think of Luthen's front here? Um, and did you catch any dope Easter eggs uh, in this sequence? Uh, first off, I got to say, his whole reveal when he's dressing up as the, the shopkeeper and then the thing putting the on hands. the hands, like greeting people, and then yeah. how quickly he goes back oh. to that cold-faced, almost killer, like, uh, you know, persona. I loved that juxtaposition. And again, we see it later on with how quick he can change in the shop. Uh, in the shop, I saw, I mean, the one thing that caught my eye and I kept looking at was the Mandalorian chess piece. Yeah. Uh, but even more than anything in the shop, it was, I was thinking more about what Mamatha was saying, how she mm. thinks she has someone who can help them. And mm. going along, you know, the timeline of Ahsoka that we know, I'm wondering yeah. if we're going to be able to or if we're going to be hearing the name Fulcrum dropped as a reference to her being the agent who starts linking these rebel groups together and sending them on more, you know, organized missions. Like, so I'm, again, I definitely think we're going to be seeing or hearing something about her and the position of Fulcrum in the rebel Alliance. That's exactly what I was saying. I, 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 at first I was like, Oh, Bail Organa, but like he'd already be involved mm -hmm. by this I think point. He would, yeah. Right. And then I was like, yeah, like it would be kind of sick if they did tie in a, a younger live action Ahsoka, I think would be really, really dope. And it would be such a great way for them to um, like bring in and, and get people ready for the Ahsoka series, mm -hmm. um, especially if it's more like a tease and then we, we get to see it sort of into the second season, um, which then eventually would, you know, when they release that Ahsoka series, which I'm not, I still don't know when. Um, and the only other person I was thinking, and this could be a bit of a stretch, but I was thinking um, Amelyn Holdo, like a young Amelyn Holdo, uh, who we met in Rise of Skywalker. I know there's not a lot of, you know, fans of that character, but there was um, enough story for that character for me to get in, involved well, with it. So if, if exactly. we're getting some background here, I think that'd be some, some well-deserved, uh, you know, backstory because that character seemed cool. Just, we didn't get much information about her. So yeah. this would be a really cool to see in like an origin story for her as well. Right. And she, she would be at a, a fairly okay age for her to be brought in. And I, she'd also be surrounded by politicians because um, mm -hmm. that's how she grew up just like how Mon Mothma grew up. So like if Mon Mothma was like, oh, she's my ward or something like that, I think it would be really sick. Because um, it's interesting. You do see, you know, when, when um, maybe not in this episode, but there's an episode where we do see her within these next three where, where she's um, at the, the council and she's, she's, you know, talking to all them in those big silver circle silver silver circles <laughs> that's hard to say <laughs> and uh, yeah and uh and you know she's the only person standing in that circle whereas every other circle has two people mm -hmm. um so i'm wondering if maybe they might they might do something one thing i want to point out um 
are a few things I want to point out. The Utapalan monk cudgel, uh, we do get, he obviously picks it up. Um, but there's also a Twi'lek Kalakori in the background, speaking of Ahsoka. You mentioned that, you mentioned um, that off air. I completely right? forgot about that. Super yeah. sick. Um, and uh, and then there's also some some stones that apparently have the same symbols that Ezra got, got from the Loth Wolves. Um, mm. Someone also spotted a Gungan shield in the background, which is pretty dope. <laughs> uh, and like from episode one. And then there's also... Um, an anti-breathing mask, which were used by the Cal 4 species uh, to breathe, which I, I'm just saying could be Plo Koon's if he actually yep. is dead at this point. Like, that could very oh. well, right? Like, I don't know. I just, um, I'm, I'm just, I need to think it's not Plo Koon's. It's just someone of his species. It's, right. That makes sense to me in my head. Yeah. That's what I'm sticking with. <laughs> I just want Plo Koon to be alive. Um, yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, New Rockstars actually pointed out something that I honestly have no idea how they caught it because it's so dark some, in some of these moments. But apparently there's Indiana Jones Easter eggs in there. Uh, there's, there's carbonate uh, plates, and one of them has Indy's whip. One of them has the golden idol, and one of them has his boots. Uh, oh. which is pretty, pretty dope. And so I love when Lucasfilm Story Group has fun with these things. Like, I doubt... Mm-hmm. Like I, I, obviously, they're not to bring Indy into Star Wars canon, although that would be pretty nuts if Indy ever got a chance to meet Han Solo. But, um, you know, there was the Club Obi-Wan in the Temple of Doom, and I, I know they've sort of traded mm-hmm. uh, Easter eggs back and forth. So pretty dope stuff. Um, and that is that is it for Episode 4. Uh, as we dive right into our fifth episode titled The Axe Forgets, also directed by Susanna White, uh, which starts off with Cyril again. He's all mopey and he's moping about the loss of his job and his mom starts to dig into him about his prospects or lack thereof. Uh, she says he's, she's going to contact his uncle Harold. Uh, and then later in the episode, we see him you know, staring ominously at a hollow projection of, of Cassian. Um, so Cyril is all... Sad and mopey. He's reminding me a lot of a Skywalker at this point, too. <laughs> but what did you think of Cyril's mom here? And and do you also love the fact that Cyril is eating cereal? Do you love that as much as I do? Because that was... <laughs> I was loving that. Didn't even register to me when I was watching. I, all I could feel was just uncomfortable because, yeah. again, clearly that guy has a very strained relationship with his mother. Yeah. And she is a very strong presence in any room she's in, it seems. So I just... He... He was all set and on his own and was making a name for himself. And to have that all ripped away and returned to this, just, again, I feel for the guy. I feel yeah. so bad for him because, well, also hating him still. It's, again, they're very good at creating these characters that you want to like and hate at the same time. It's the best part of the show. And I think it's mm-hmm. one of my favorite aspects of, we've already brought it up, but Game of Thrones and, mm-hmm. and with the House of the Dragon. Like, again, there's a lot of characters that even there, I'm like, they're terrible. Why do I want them to stay alive? Yeah, um, right? and, yeah. and it, it keeps happening. Um, and I love it. I love that we've gotten to that point in Star Wars storytelling where we can have, you know, those those kind of characters. And I think, you know, we've gotten it before with with certain characters like Darth Maul and um, and even to a certain extent with Vader. But I, I do think that this is just it's it's a more nuanced way of doing it. These characters are, you know, very much in the gray on both sides. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see that mm-hmm. with Cyril. Um, Cyril eating cereal. I love the idea. <laughs> Um, I just want Cyril's cereal in to be something that we can get at Galaxy's Edge. Like if, you know, I, I, I think it's cool because these shows, they secretly open up the culinary options 
for the Disney parks while maintaining the canon. <laughs> Something we never thought we would get would be cereal with blue milk, and now they can just have that as a breakfast option at, uh, at you know, freaking Galaxy's Edge. I think it would be so cool. Um, <laughs> you can also see he obviously gets a strict disposition from his mom. She talks mm-hmm. like an ISB agent. Like, she's so quick. And shout out to Catherine Hunter, uh, who plays Edie Karn, his mom. Uh, also, Miss Arabella Fig in the Harry Potter. Yes, that's where I recognized her from. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I I think it's such a mom thing to do. I'm calling your uncle. He's going to get you a job that you don't want. So (laughs) (laughs) it's so funny. Um, All right. Well, as we continue here, we get a look into the strained relationship. Speaking of strained relationships between between mothers, the strained relationship between Mon Mothma and her daughter Leda uh, as the two bicker when she comes down for breakfast. Um, they weren't eating cereal cereal, but uh, <laughs> later Perrin further remarks that Gar Tafid knows more about what his wife is up to than he does. She casually states that he didn't tell him uh, about her new foundation because he didn't think th- she didn't think he'd be interested because it's charitable. Uh, so let's dig into this man bun here. What do you think of Perrin at this point? Do you think he's actually a good guy or is he just totally oblivious? Like, is this another uh, Tim with two M's situation going on here? Uh, all I, I don't like the guy at all. I mean, he clearly is just part of that, you know, elitist lifestyle where I like his style. All he cares about the next. He, I like his style. It, he looks again. Good. It, it fits with that character. If he's all yeah. about, you know, putting on that performance and making those, you know, connections with people and yeah. not really caring about what those people stand for. I just seeing that makes me feel for Mon Mothma and clearly his daughter or their daughter is taking more after him than her yeah. in that regard. And it just, it's, it's very heartbreaking to see these, the, you know, these home lives of these characters because they get so real and, and relatable, and you're just like, ah, that's such a bad, bad position. I, I would never want to be in 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 anything like that. So, yeah, I just I I don't like the guy because he clearly doesn't have the same moral values as his wife, unfortunately. Yeah, and it's interesting too because we we see that like this person that should be a partner for her is the furthest thing mm-hmm. from that, right? And I think he's becoming something uh, more and more of what Mon Mothma hates, which is. Uh, you know, like a, a combination of inaction and, and ignorance. And mm-hmm. he's basically just a necessity for her to keep up appearances, I guess, like, and maybe at, at times take care of their daughter. But especially after the, in episode three, when he talks about like, oh, you know, you never have any fun with my friends. Like never, you know, we just have fun. And it's like, Mon Moth was like, yeah, because all your friends are rich bigots who cut off trade lines for entire <laughs> species and then pretend to cry about it over dinner. Like, it's absolutely brutal. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just one of those things where like, yeah, you know what? If I had the money, if I had the credits, yeah, I'd run away to Coruscant, but I'd make a change. I'd buy a bunch of, of Funko Pops, and then I would make a change and <laughs> donate some of that money. Uh, but I, I hope, I hope that Man Bun doesn't become a problem. But I think he's going to become a problem. I think. Uh, yeah, I think so. I think a lot. Yeah. yeah, it's I. I don't like where they're setting this character up to go because I hate. I'm going to hate him every time he steps on screen. Yeah, yeah. We'll have to wait and see. Maybe, maybe he's maybe he, he has somehow redeems himself he lets his man bun down but we'll have to we'll have to see um gonna have have to put some work in yeah despite what she was instructed by major pardigas dedra miro continues to remain suspicious of acts of rebellion that are cropping up around the galaxies uh the galaxy the occurrences are quote too random to be random 
uh, and she can't let it go. Meanwhile, Cassian wakes up to find the hammocks empty and his bag missing. He momentarily panics until he finds Skeen outside with all of his weapons laid out. Skeen notices the way Cassian's eyes stray to his tattoos in recognition. The two realize that they have more in common than they originally thought. Afterward, Nemec shows him a navigational tool he built and begins to wax on about his thoughts on the Imperial oppression. Vel and Taramin call Cassian over to ask for his input on their mission, uh, and he's baffled when he has to explain the concept of a load clutch to to them. He makes it clear that he's going to need to be the pilot. Taramin briefs Cassian on his role uh, for when they go undercover. He's Imperial Private Clem, a century from the Alkanzi, uh, sorry, a century from the Alkenzi Air Base, transferred for special duty. And then the team practices marching as an Imperial unit. Though Taramin isn't uh, happy about it, he obliges Cassian's suggestion to change up the formation as he smoothly rattles off which hand that he's noticed everyone shoots with. Their training is interrupted by the arrival of a TIE fighter, which comes swooping through the field in a show of power. So let's just, I want to go back to these tattoos on Skeen. Um, do you think they're war tattoos, gang tattoos? Uh, and then what did you think of Cassian's incredible attention to detail? The tattoos to me just kind of seemed, again, could be religious or just, you know, part of wherever he came from. It's it's Star Wars. People have tattoos or, you know, face patterns or whatever. So I, I didn't see much uh, of that. But the plan, the fact that they needed su- clearance on such something, something so simple really shows how, you know, scarce resources are really are in the rebellion and that they're sending these people who really don't know how to do one of the most basic things in order to pull off this heist. It kind of shows that really Clem or Andor really was needed in this mission. And that just goes to show how Luthen knows his team or this team, Mm. the missions to such an extent. True. Yeah. For him to have the foresight to understand that like, no, 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 no. Clem or Cassian is going to be incredibly Mm -hmm. important here. Um, You know, I think him sneaking around the empire, practically his entire adulthood uh, he's probably pretty used to having to pay attention to like really small details mm-hmm. at this point. Um, so the fact that he can just, you know, shout off what their main uh, hand is that, you know, right or left, um, is so cool. Um, the tattoos, I think maybe Skeen was, uh, forced into the military like Cassian. So I think, mm. I think it's possible that Cassian might've seen these tattoos on some of his military friends or maybe even people he's had to kill, uh, mm. before. So it's kind of interesting. And, the tension between those two characters uh, is is fantastic throughout this into these three episodes. Yeah, cl- clearly, like I I get why he's so skeptical and doesn't trust this guy and everything like that. But for the same reasons that he doesn't trust Cassian, I don't trust him. So yeah. again, brilliant writing for that to really be driven home within the show. <laughs> Absolutely. When the team heads out for the garrison, Cassian finally asks Vel why Lieutenant Gorn is helping them in the first place. She explains that he fell in love with a local woman, lost a promotion, and lost the woman in the process as well. When they stop to rest, Skeen holds a knife to Cassian's neck uh, and grabs Luthen's necklace, brandishing it to show the others. The group is at a standstill as Skeen accuses Cassian of being a liar because he can't understand why he'd bring a Sky Kyber crystal worth 30,000 credits to a robbery. Cassian admits that he's being paid and the money is the only reason he's there. 
When they arrive at the Imperial Brace after nightfall, they send out a signal to Gorn to let him know they've arrived. Skeen approaches Cassian and begins to tell him all about his brother, who was a uh, spice farmer or a a pepper farmer or something like that. Uh, And the Empire is the reason that he died. Vel informs Cassian in in her and Cinta's absence, Terramin is now entirely in charge. Meanwhile, Luthen nervously awaits to hear a word from the team. So uh, pretty bold of Cassian to just lay it out for them like that, like he's just in it for the money. Do you think he was telling the truth at that point, or do you think some part of him actually wanted to help these people um, after getting to know them a little bit? Uh, I think at this point it is kind of more like a 75% I'm in it for the money, the 25% I want to do it to help people. Right. Uh, and I think that, well, again, we're going to, over the course of the series, we're going to obviously see that, that shift to the other direction. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, the biggest red flag I had from this whole conversation was the fact that Skeen knew offhand what that thing was. Because Andor, who again seems pretty knowledgeable in this, you know, thief trade, had no idea what it was when Luthen gives it to him. But Skeen could rattle off the price and exactly what it is. Oh, wow. For just seeing it in two seconds. It's just like, ah, oh, this guy's shadier than even I thought he was to begin. And like, it's just everything he does makes me trust him less and less. As much as I want to trust the, the, these rebel group, he's no. the worst part of it. But the fa- you're right. The fact that like that's our first sort of big, you know, or maybe second red flag for this character of like, mm-hmm. just like how, yeah, how would he know the exact exactly price? what it was? Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. I think. Yeah. I think if the money wasn't involved, I think you're right. I think he'd. I think Cassian would walk at this point. Um, I think after the events of episode six, he still needs to go through a few more moments to really mm-hmm. change. Uh, and and maybe that's the change between this Cassian and the one we meet in Rogue One. Not necessarily. I don't think his necessarily like his moral compass changes on the value of human life, mm-hmm. but it's it's more along the lines of of you know him investing in the sentiment of of you know working towards a greater cause. I think yeah. his time and his skills he starts putting that towards it. So it's interesting because he it's not what you would traditionally expect of a of sort of um uh, i guess a somewhat anti-hero to hero journey he sort of mm-hmm. stays an anti-hero all the way to the end oh yeah it's oh, just yeah. it's just his um i guess how he's investing his time yeah that gets his, into that his place. reasoning behind doing these jobs changes yeah. it goes from the money to the cause which yeah. is i think again that's the change we're going to be seeing is him working for the cause by the end of the second season. There we go. There we go. And that is episode five. Let's get to the episode six. This is the episode. This is the episode, Darcy. This episode. Oh, my gosh. I, wow. Okay. Um, th- th- This episode is titled The Eye, directed yet again by Susanna White. It rounds out the second act of this probably around a four-act structured series. And it's the heist we've all been waiting for. Uh, the crew wakes up at their camp the next morning, and Nemec is full of anxious energy as, as they prepare for the heist. He struggles to get a read on Cassian and what fuels him, and he blatantly points out the fact that he doesn't think Clem is actually his real name. Terramin locks in a signal on their field comm so they'll be able to stay in contact with Vel and Cinta. As they head out, Skeen tells Cassian that Terramin used to be a stormtrooper, which explains his mannerisms. Which, again, watching that back, I was like, do you think that was a lie? Do you think Terramin actually was a stormtrooper, or do you think 
do you think Skeen was just again messing with uh, with Cassian's head here? No, see, uh, this is one thing that I actually d- did buy when he was saying because it makes yeah. a lot of sense. Another re- one thing I was questioning is this guy seems to know a lot about you know imperial protocol for marching and stuff. Okay, like that, yeah, just yeah, how yeah. they expect it to be done, and so the fact that they reveal that he learned how to march properly from the Empire kind of made sense and reinforced that to me. And of course, it's not out of the blue or out of the ordinary for for these stormtroopers to kind of break their mental conditioning and, and, you know, flip sides to the other cause. Which is even more heartbreaking, the line that he talks about with uh, the fact that they slaughtered Sinta's entire family. Um, mm-hmm. It makes you wonder if, if you know, again, there's so many, uh, so much tension between this group. Um, maybe he was literally one of the stormtroopers who actually killed her family, which would be absolutely nuts um and i don't know if if we will get to figure that out um <laughs> but we'll keep going here disguised in imperial uniforms terramin runs the team through their cover plan uh, again as they await the passage of the aldanis who are making their trek to watch the eye they blend in as escorts following behind the pilgrims lieutenant gorn watches carefully as they arrive and assigns them as squad three to uh, to return uh, to be the return escort with the commandant and his family. So uh, the the Aldanis. This was such a unique culture uh, that we get here. Clearly, they just put up with the empire, you know, because just like everyone else, they have to. But mm-hmm. what did you think of the Aldanis and their trek up the mountains for this event? Well, the fact that they said like the the Empire thing is it started out with like fifteen hundred and they whittled it down to just sixty. Just it goes to show how like oppressive the empire really is in that they are deliberately putting setting up these rest stops that are designed to keep people there because they don't want them you know encroaching on their territory it's just, it's ridiculous how far the empire will go to you know um to enforce their rule of a planet or to just strip it of the resources. So again, I love the Aldani because they seem so like resolute. The 60 that we got to see making that final March, yeah. you could feel, despite not understanding what they're saying, you could feel all that pent up anger at the empire and just putting, again, putting up with it because they have to. So I love, I love this introduction of this, again, more diverse culture on these different planets that we're starting to see through the lens of, of rebels. Absolutely. And they don't all have to be, a different no. culture of an alien species. They can be humans as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think that they, um, you know, it's it's interesting because for for the empire to just wipe them out, they could have easily done that. It almost mm-hmm. seems more evil the fact to, that to they push are, them away yeah. and then slowly <laughs> crush the life out of them. Like, Unreal. Uh, it's, like they're it's they're ridiculous. they're messing with their heads. They're ruining you know these probably these groups that. Now they've caused infighting because some of them are more devout than others. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's like it's just so wow, it's so evil. Um, I also wanted to point out this is the first time we're seeing an Imperial commander's family, uh, which was so interesting to see this series try to humanize this this man who honestly um, he talks to Colonel Pedigar about how they treat the Aldanis. They're like they're animals and they're mm-hmm. just waiting to be tricked or distracted along the way. It was just it just immediately distances you from the character, whether he has a family or not. Um, but did you did you notice his suit was also tailored with like black stretchy parts, which might be the only part of the character <laughs> that I personally can relate to. It seems like the Empire would only have like, they'd only make up to like extra larges. And if you can't fit into those, you don't get to wear the suit. So like, that was the one part where I was like, yeah, sometimes I expand too. So I, I, 
you know, I gave him a little bit of a pass there, but Jay Hold for the most part still pretty awful. Uh, yeah, again, and just the way he treats his family as as objects uh, makes you hate this side of the empire even more, and it goes to show how even in the empire there could be people like. Deirdre that you can kind of care for and want to see their growth yeah. and then at the same time see people who can't understand how they got to where they are now and how they can be so full of themselves and just that the way that he interacts with the Aldani or like just he treats their culture and looks down on them from like like they're less than human and it's yeah. just ridiculous again they're they do a really good job of setting up how why you're supposed to hate these characters and it's very easy to understand that and that's it's brilliant character and writing work because you understand why you don't like them almost immediately. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Vel and Cinta use this really dope like jet thing to, to swim underwater <laughs> uh, and sneak up onto the base to complete their part of the mission, placing devices to shut down all the Imperial comms when they're ready. Cinta can see that Vel has now grown visibly nervous, and she hesitates to send the signal to the men to tell them to move on to their next step. On the ground, they grow concerned until Vel finally radios over the comm. Terramin, Skeen, Cassian, and Nemec escort Jayhold and his family inside, where they finally drop their cover and raise their weapons. They hold com the Commandant and his family alongside uh, Colonel Pedagar hostage. And we see Pedagar raises his weapon on Nemec as the rebels are caught in a standstill. That is, until Cinta casually drops down the ladder and shoots him without a second's thought. He just instantly drops her and Vel join them as J-Hold tries to tell them that he can't open the payroll vault for them because it's locked with a code from the airbase. However, they only need his hand to open it. Uh, and once they, once they get down there, they're able to blast the trays free with their weapons held at the ready. The rebels instruct the Imperial staff to quickly help them load the credits onto the ship. Okay. So it was impressive to see this team execute this mission but it was also kind of scary at the same time. Uh, what did you think of the plan to have the Imperial staff help them load the credits onto the ship? I, I mean, very trustworthy with a team of like, what, four people were there at that right. point? Yeah. Trying to keep track of 10 guys running back and forth who had weapons. It just, it was very ballsy of them. And it just goes to show how quickly people are rushed through training in the empire and that's why there are these greenhorns who don't know what to do in these tense situations and will mm -hmm. let themselves be pushed around like that i feel like there could have been a much more efficient way of moving the credits around yeah that part kind of i was just like that seems so impractical like that you have to how do you load up those racks it just right. seems seems dumb and there's not an automated way of moving around or, you know, a hover cart. Like the fact that they were using a cart with wheels in Star Wars was <laughs> just kind of like, strange. That's, that seems odd. I, there's so much technology that lets stuff float and you're using wheels. Yeah. So, huh. <laughs> yeah. And the fact that like, you know, it, we've clearly can see that the empire is, um, you know, they've used droids in the past. Mm -hmm. Like why, you know, I get the idea of wanting to bring more jobs in for the empire, but like still like, it does seem that's a little one job strange. that could be automated. Yeah. That's all, it just it was seemed odd to me. I mean, yeah. again, it it's gave us the reason for this heist, and with taking out the oddity of the storage solution, it worked for me. And I love this whole scene and how tense it was the entire time. Didn't know whether it was going to go south or not at this point, because I mean, from the minute one, you knew minute one, you knew this heist was going pear shaped at some point. So they they were they were so sharp. They were so fast. Um, it was interesting to see Vel hesitate to send the signal. Like, 
Mm-hmm. She seemed the most headstrong of them all, but then, you know, unlike Cassian, she probably feels a greater connection to these people, and she knows that there will be casualties if, you know, if her signaling them, you know, is sending them to their deaths. Yeah, I mean, her hesitation reminded me of uh, Cyril's hesitation when he's sending the strike force out to, you know, track down the rebel scum. Yeah, uh, and it was the same thing where he hesitated because he had these lives. Like they're willing to do whatever he says, and it was very much the same thing with Val. So I thought it was—it's interesting that we got to see both an imperial and a rebel have this same moral dilemma in their head about like these people are people. I kind of want to keep them alive, but also this mission has to be done. Totally, yeah. And I gotta say, it was pretty nuts in a Star Wars show on Disney Plus to see a character with a loaded weapon against a kid's head. Yes. Like, (laughs) and again, it's Skeen. Look at that. Um, But like, I know Anakin has killed younglings, but we've never, I don't think we've ever seen this kind of imagery from Star Wars before. And I just, it shows again, just how much more mature this series is than anything else we've gotten. Mm -hmm. The fact Mm -hmm. that they can, I know it's like literally for half a second, but he literally is like pressing his gun into this kid's head. I was just like, whoa. Like I was, that was freaking me out a little bit. Uh, yep, I, I'm with you there. <laughs> Unreal, dude. Unreal. All right, let's keep going here. Outside the comms, across the base, are shut down, uh, which isn't necessarily suspicious because it could just be a result of the interference from the eye. However, one of the guards manages to tune his comm to the team's frequency, uh, which is now the only one working, and he overhears what's happening inside. He and a group of soldiers go running down to the vault to intercept them. Jayhold is shocked when he realizes that Gorn was in on the robbery, despite his seven years of service there. And I love that line that he says, like, after working for you for seven years, I deserve worse. Like, that's it was just so good. Um, when the other guards arrive to investigate, Gorn attempts to act as if everything is fine. But the situation erupts into a firefight when Jayhold falls to the ground, seemingly suffering a heart attack. Um, though Cassian, Vel, Nemec, and Skeen make it onto the ship with the stolen credits, Gorn and Terramin are shot and potentially, uh, at least for, for Terramin, is definitely killed mm-hmm. in the crossfire. So this scene got my heart racing probably as much as Jay holds. Um, I want to know, do you think do you think Skeen actually did everything he could to cover Terramin in that fight? Or do you think he let him die here given that we know what his plan is by the end of this episode i never thought of it that way i just i i feel like again it was just an indication of how the rebels still don't know what they're doing fully like when it comes to these these situations where you do need to make like you do need to pull the trigger some of them don't know quite go that far and don't want to make that step so it was again very tense and it was sad to see terramin dying yes but more so for gorn i felt bad Mm. for him because Again, hearing his backstory, that's the type of thing that you can understand why he's doing it without getting much screen time. So I was a bit disappointed to see that his story ended so soon. Well, and see, that's the thing. I don't, when we see a character get shot in Star Wars, unless they say that they died and are very particular about it, like, it seems like. He's a traitor, so I feel like they will. I'm just saying, it could be really interesting to see if he did survive. I also think if Jay Hold survives his cardiac arrest <laughs> um which like at first i was like this guy's faking it but then the more i think about it the more they kind of alluded to his sort of chubbiness and the amount of calf that he probably drinks like the guy the guy probably actually did have a, an actual heart attack there but i don't know 
I don't know. I, probably a better thing that he did die for his his wife and kid who are probably now able to no longer have to stay on that planet anymore. Um, and, you know, he I think at one point he threatened to, like, hit his kid. So, yes, guy guy was uh, deserves to go. I, I do hope he actually did have a heart attack. <laughs> um, let's get to, like, the most phenomenal part of this episode. Uh, we see the pilgrims singing, you know, they start to they start to quiet down and the meteor shower begins, covering the sky in a brilliant display of light and color. Cassian pilots the ship as they go to make their escape from the vault, but Nemec is crushed in the process when everything goes flying as they take off. Though, uh, though TIE fighters attempt to pursue them, they're unsuccessful, and Nemec helps Cassian navigate his way through the wild chaos in the air. Sinta watches from down below as she didn't escape with them and is left on Aldani. So, what did you think of the crew's escape through the eye of Aldani and this incredible light display? Uh, the eye was everything I hoped it would be when they were talking up this, you know, meteor, meteor this like, uh, celestial event that they see in their atmosphere. Yeah. So, it, the visuals were incredible. And then just, again, with the... With Nemec getting crushed, my heart broke because oh. he was the one person of the group that I'm like, I hope he gets out of this. He is too innocent to to die on this mission. And it was sad to see that this, the way that he went and he still fought to the end, basically getting them out of there. And it was a heartbreaking scene, but so visually pleasing. Dude, it was, it was, it was honestly, this is peak Star Wars for me. On so many levels, um, visually, audibly, the classic sounds of the Imperial mm-hmm. Klaxon alarm going off at the um, the Alkenzi Air Base, and the sounds of the radars on the Tie Fighters, and it just it was just everything about the sequence was so incredible. And the Tie Fighter explosions were just like, oh that is classic gosh, Star Wars dude. right there, just the ball flying away. It's so uh, good. so good. And and dude, I know it would be really tough for them to pull it off, but if Disney found a way to recreate the Eye of Aldani. Obviously, they couldn't do it on Batu because that doesn't canonically make any sense. But as a ticketed event, every three years that you go to the Halcyon Star Cruiser and you see it from there, like, dude. Oh, that'd like, be cool. That you see that'd it from, cool. like, above? Like, it, oh, my gosh. It would be insanely cool. And, like, super limited tickets and, like, only once every three. I don't know, man. Uh, Disney, if you're listening, make that a thing. Um Nicholas Bertel's music in this sequence as it builds and builds as they fly through the eye. It's just stunning. And honestly, some of my favorite Star Wars music has now come from this series and Giacchino's Rogue One score. Like the mm-hmm. everything musically surrounding Cassie and Andor has just been absolutely Top phenomenal. Notch. Top, Top notch. Yeah. Uh, and then speaking of Rogue One, um, there's a really sad foreshadowing uh, Easter egg when, when Nemec screams climb. Uh, as that's the same thing that K2SO would say in his last words to Cassian in Rogue One. Um, And it's just, again, it's awesome how this series is retroactively adding more to a movie that came out six years ago. The fact that, like, now when I go to watch that movie, I'm going to be thinking of Nemec in that Mm -hmm. moment alongside K2. And it's just like, I wonder if Cassian in that moment is also thinking of Nemec when he hears him shout, Mm -hmm. climb, like, dude... Oh, so good, man. They are just, they're they are killing it with this writing. Absolutely. <laughs> what a phenomenal sequence. Okay. So once they clear the planet, 
Skeen is super angry because he believes that Vel wants to give up on Nemec, who's honestly not doing very well. They make a detour and bring him to a doctor. Cassian and Skeen sit outside while the doctor works to save Nemec, and Skeen estimates that they stole about roughly 80 million credits. He suggests that the two of them take off with the money because he has a place to hole up if Cassian can pilot the ship. Cassian learns that the story about Skeen's brother was absolutely a lie. And Skeen continues to try and convince him, but Cassian opts to kill him instead. Cassian walks inside the hut, blaster raised, uh, and he learns Nemec unfortunately died on the operating table. He tells Vel what happened, though she's hesitant to believe Skeen would betray them. Cassian firmly tells her that he's taking his cut and he's giving her Luthen's kyber crystal in return. She hands him, uh, oh, and in return, she hands him Nemec's manifesto. So my question here is obvious. What did you think of the delightful four-armed doctor? No, I'm just, just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I want to know, <laughs> what did you think, uh, you know, Skeen was, do you think he was actually trying to betray all of them? And this was his plan all along, hence why he was so upset when, when Cassian uh, was joining the crew? I think so. Because yeah. I feel like clearly he th- saw like a threat in Cassian because Cassian is coming in from the same angle as he was almost. Right. In it for the score and the score alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, so clearly that was why he was so apprehensive of Cassian. And I mean, the fact that he was so casual about ref- mentioning it, this was something he's clearly planned out for a while because you wouldn't like the way he brought it up just seemed too, too like too natural to be just a spur of the moment thinking like yeah, this was his plan all along. He had, and it's like even the idea to get Nemec to the doctor, he's like mm-hmm. perfect. Like that's he my knew somewhere where he could, he, he could get them off the ship and get away with it type thing. Yeah. yeah I was, he was hoping if, if I feel like if, if Nemec wasn't injured, he would have probably feigned an injury or something and gotten them to that doctor regardless. It just sucks because I, I really wanted to believe like when we first met Skeen that he was a good guy, partially because I just really like the actor that plays him, <laughs> uh, who plays, he plays cousin Richie on the bear. And I just, I think he's fantastic. Um, but also because I thought that maybe in this moment he was testing Cassian's commitment uh, to the, you know, to, to the group. Uh, but after rewatching all these episodes, yeah, you can, you can clearly see every move Skeen mm-hmm. has made so far um, between making up the stories about his brother and then freaking out about the, the kyber crystal. And then it just, it all screams that this was Skeen scheme all along is what I'm calling <laughs> Skeen scheme. It's even the name <laughs> sounds like a scheme. Um, and dude, did you jump? Like I jumped when he, when he shot him, I was like, Oh gosh, like I did not expect that. It was very abrupt and stuff like that. But when, again, looking back on it, Andor probably saw all the same things that we are talking about in this episode, about all these red flags and probably even more given what happened off screen. Yeah. So clearly he was onto this guy from minute one. And as soon as he saw he was going through with this, he's like, no, nah, you're out of here. I don't care, but you, I got to take care of you. And then I'm on my way type thing. Jeez. And then we were, we were, we'll, we'll admit when we're wrong here at geek centric, we were wrong with our initial trailer reaction. Sadly, that wasn't Cal Kestis on the operating table, um, even though it really did look like him. I will say mm-hmm. even more sadly that it was it was Nemec. And the fact that he gives Cassian his manifesto, I wonder, I wonder if that can maybe become something that's used by the Rebellion in the future. Because Nemec, honestly, in a weird way, he spoke very similarly 
as some of the higher up agents of the ISB mm-hmm. and the fact that he's just so precise, but obviously and on analytical the, and analytical, but on the opposite side, right? Like obviously for mm-hmm. for the rebellion, he was so quick and so thoughtful. He will be missed for sure. I, I'm going to miss him yeah. as a character. Yeah, he had very unique ways of looking at things. Just all the interactions with Andor, you could clearly see that Andor was the one who was connecting with him more than anyone else because he was taking the time to listen to him and hear out his ideas. So, I, again, I really hope that if, if it doesn't go so far as to being something used by the Rebellion, I hope it's something that Andor constantly looks back to when he's, you know, trying to, he's stuck in a tough situation. He just needs some, you know, refreshing, optimistic words that are coming from a, a place of, pure good basically yeah yeah it would be nice to see if he actually ever references that thing or gives maybe mm-hmm. he gives it to mon mothma at some point um but let's continue here major Partagas tells the staff at the isb that nobody is going home following what happened on aldani he wants every star sector and planetary emergency retaliation plan ready for presentation by midnight mon mothma is in the middle of a meeting with the senate though the delegates all appear to be distracted because they start learning about the news as to what happened. Uh, Elsewhere, Luthen remains undercover at his shop. A man jokingly asks him uh, if he has any pieces from Aldani and you know, it's, it's kind of interesting in that moment. You know, we talk about his, his sort of farce, his, his shopkeeper Mm -hmm. persona. When he, when that guy mentions Aldani, he loses it. He just drops it right away. He's like, "Oh yeah." What? And like, I was like, "No!" Like, keep smiling. Like, what are you doing? Like, it was, it was, I was, it, it was impressive just to see that happen. Um, but then, yeah, a man jokingly tells him, "Yeah, some, you know, a big rebel attack happened the night before." Luthen excuses himself to step back uh, to the back of the shop, uh, and he laughs in relief. So this is the first time we see Luthen truly smile. I think, you know, outside of his fake persona, which I personally found, you know, it it was a little bit, I kind of put me off a little bit because he knows that they had a successful mission, but not exactly like who survived or if any of them survived. Like he heard it was an attack and it just Mm -hmm. kind of really paints the picture that he just cares about the fact that it made the news and that that really put a stick in the eye of the empire. And it was just one of those (laughs) things where I was like, oh man, like, does he not care if they if they lived or died? I don't know. I mean, I kind of already had that uh, impression of him. Yeah. Uh, seeing people as tools and resources to be used. Uh, it makes total sense that he'd have this reaction uh, upon hearing the news because all he cares about is, is, like you said, jamming a stick in the side of the Empire. And I think it'll be... The, the the course of the show might make him out to be somewhat of a bad guy on more like the Saw Gerrera side where anything... Uh, like anything to... to take down the empire and not so much the Mon Mothma side where it's like, but you have to protect the people right? and just attack the empire. So it's, it's very interesting to see that again, maybe he won't be so likable by the end. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's going to be the interesting thing. And I, I kind of speaking of the end of the series, I, I do want to maybe uh, that is it for episode six. I want to get into predictions, um, our prediction segment. And, and I will we're going to be totally upfront with our audience. We're recording this a little bit later than we anticipated, unfortunately, due to scheduling. Nothing to do with 
uh, Darcy was ready to go that night. <laughs> I know he was, but um, but we are uh, technically we are already past episode seven uh, uh, in terms of it being I released. I still haven't watched it yet. Though. Oh, but I you haven't good watched boy. it. Oh. I was a good boy. Okay, okay. Well, then your predictions can be whatever you want them to be. Um, <laughs> I did watch it, so so for my predictions, I'm going to probably do something a little bit bigger than just what's coming next week. Like whatever I predict, I promise you, I'm not like cheating the system and like just laying out the the next episode um but for this series again we call this segment this many bothans died to bring us this information so darcy how many bothans died to bring you this information uh, let's say six bothans died okay. to bring me this information not a lot it's not that mo- not the most juicy information okay, that's fair. <laughs> very broad picture stuff like i said uh I don't know where we're going next, what the next arc will feature or focus on, because who knows where Cassian is fleeing? Is he going, will Luthen track him down again or anything like that? So I I really don't know, have much to say. I mean, the speculations I did have were more about, you know, who that other agent was in episode four Mm. and the fact that maybe Luthen won't be the nice guy by the end of this, at least maybe season one. So I I, again, not much to say except for, I, I think that the next arc will be a very splintered in terms of storytelling that's what i feel like is coming that because we have everyone kind of splitting up maybe won't be one story but multiple going on uh, at the same time interesting okay okay do you think we'll ever get back to um learning more about cassian's home world like do you think we'll ever get back to uh canary I mean, if anything, this next arc would be the perfect time to focus on it now that he's run away from his savior and he doesn't know where to go. He has no home because of what happened uh, during the first three episodes. Right. So, again, it, it's if if anything, this that the, this arc would be the next uh, the time to do it, and it would kind of make sense if the last three arcs would be more empire focused with a a mission against the empire, and it would kind of fit with this format of focusing on like a personal mission and like a rebel mission, personal thing, rebel mission. So it's interesting because we haven't, we haven't really seen a lot from the trailers beyond this episode. I think this was kind Mm -hmm. of all the big action stuff we saw from the initial trailers was up to this episode. So it is going to be really Mm -hmm. interesting Um, for me. Only two Bothans died to bring me this information because I think it's kind of a safe prediction. Um, But I think, you know, at the, at the very end of the episode in episode six, um, there is sort of a like a pale, somewhat bald-looking figure um, in the in the at the the council meeting, um, and I th- that place was empty. I I gotta say there was like like a ten percent of the people were there was barely there. anyone there. There's no one in any of those those rings, and even less once they got the news. But there it was, was there was one that. figure that I saw, and I know the name's already been dropped a couple times, but Sly Moore. Um, I think she was uh, her name was dropped as one of the dinner guests for uh, for the for the previous episode. And I think she's the the bald headed woman who aids Palpatine, um, who we see in like the prequel trilogy. And she's like super Mm. creepy looking. Um, One of the interesting things about her character is she is force adept and she can manipulate the minds of others. And so I think that she's either going to manipulate Mon Mothma's husband or even worse her daughter. daughter. Yeah. Oh God, no. Yeah. I think something's oh. going to happen there and I think we're going to be, it's going to be, so that's, that's my, like my, my big, like for her character prediction. Uh, and I'm also going to throw out a prediction uh, along the lines of sort of what you were talking about where you were like, I think by the end of this, we're not going to like Luthen. Um, I think, 
I think he's going to die. I think he absolutely mm. is going to die. Um, and I think he's going to die for a cause that's going to be a big blow to to Cassian going into season two. I could see them killing him off before the end of this season. Um, mm-hmm. Because I just think that, like, if Luthen survived, he would have been a part of what was going on with Rogue One. Like, there was, there'd be no mm-hmm. way his character wouldn't be there. And I don't want them to, like, be like, oh, he was on a different planet or he was in the background. Like, no, 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 no. He's, he, he, he was either there or he wasn't. I think he's absolutely dead by the time Rogue One happens. That's my, my big prediction for him. I, I buy that. Yeah. I, you know, I buy the fact that a lot of people might die by the time of Rogue That's One. Because a lot of these characters are new. And Rogue One, we focused on a select group. Yeah. So and we already anyone lost, can die in my book. We already yeah. lost, what, four of them this episode already? Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. yeah. like People might just be brought on to die right away. And maybe it's all these deaths that build up on... on uh, Cassian's conscious. Maybe, maybe. All right. Well, it's about time we get to our overall impressions of the three episodes. Um, and you, if you want, you can give a score for each one. If you want to give a score for all of them, whatever you want to do, it's it's completely up to you. But we're going to be rating this on a scale of one to five betrayals. Okay, uh, I'm going to just you know lump them together because that's the way I view these stories. I feel like if I were trying to grade them on their own, yeah the fact that they're standing on their own would kind of impact the score. Because mm-hmm. I really feel like these these three episodes work so perfectly together. You mentioned earlier that they could be watched as at one time as a movie. And I feel like that's almost the best way to watch it because that you get the character growth through the three episodes. So you understand where some of these characters are coming from and what the heist is means for all of them and all that stuff. And, and again, all those little peeks into the Imperial of the ISB and how their rank system works and how it, it's hard to move up there and there's infighting and all that stuff. I feel like these, the writing in these, these last few episodes are just, again, stellar star Wars in that they're telling new stories with such high stakes that we, we already know, mm-hmm. but are seeing in this new, in a new light yep. for the first time in star Wars. And I'm loving it. So yeah, for the three episodes, solid 4.5 out of five for me, because there was some moments that I, I took me out of it a bit, but the the overall story and, and character growth and, and development we got there is just phenomenal. So good. So good. Um, you know, when we saw episode four, I actually had the opportunity to see it like months ago in August. And because mm-hmm. of the date mm-hmm. change, they, they pushed it back. Yeah. And I was just sitting there like, when am I going to get episode five? Like, let's go. <laughs> and I will say episode four, I think, was my favorite episode of the series mm-hmm. until episode six. And... Mm-hmm. Again, this is probably one of my top favorite Star Wars moments, I think, ever. This this is up there with me for, like, the finale of Rogue One, the duel of the fates. Um, up there with Obi-Wan and Anakin, you know, the, the, Va- the Vader-Anakin fight in the Obi-Wan mm-hmm. finale. Mm-hmm. Like, this is, this is so high on my list as to, like, moments that I will remember when I think of Star Wars. It's just mm-hmm. incredible the way they were able to do that. And... It was just, and I hope I hope Nemec forgives me for lack of a better term, but this was breathtaking. Like this was absolutely incredibly breathtaking and just so visually beautiful. And I know he was crushed, and that there's the joke. Um, yeah, I yeah. <laughs> I was on the edge. I got it. I was on the edge of my seat the entire time, and the way they've just in six episodes they've managed not only to recapture some of those feelings of sort of like dealing in the gray from Rogue One, but they've exceeded it already Mm -hmm. it's just unbelievable the way they depict as we as you were saying like some of the sects of these rebels i just i can't i still can't get a lot of the the imagery 
out of my head. And I'm just so excited to see where they take us next. As you said, I love the fact that we're dealing very much with a different viewpoint for Mm -hmm. the things of Star Wars that we think we already all know. Um, And I think it's something that, like, you would expect from a book, right? Like, I know you've Mm -hmm. talked about the the Thrawn novels before, and I'm sure that deals with a lot of this stuff. And it's it's just one of those things where it's like, yeah, like, you know, who knew that, that... after episodes uh, one, two, and three, that we would be really interested in, in terms of what was going Politics, on at the Senate, right? right? Like, who knew right. that that would be something? But it, it's just one of those things where we've all grown up as Star Wars fans, and this is very much for grown-up Star Wars fans. And it's mm-hmm. something that has mm-hmm. been needed for so long of, of just the fans just really wanting uh, that and wanting wanting that more mature Star Wars because – the kids will still get their version of, of Star Wars, mm-hmm. and I think that's really important that they're 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 doing that. Um, but yeah, I I will say, you know, uh, episodes four episode four was my favorite. Episode five dipped a little bit for me, um, but episode six, I just five out of five, <laughs> five out of five betrayals. It was absolutely incredible, and I hope I hope the second half of this season can keep it up or even exceeds this. But even if they don't. Honestly, I will gladly rewatch episode six as you know of this series as part of rewatches of Star Wars. Like uh, uh, mm-hmm. just this episode alone, alongside Rogue One. Like, dude, I am. It's so good, so good. Anyways, mm-hmm. anyways, I could literally go on for like another twenty minutes on just how much <laughs> I love it. Uh, all right, well, that is it for this week's episode of Watch Club for Andor. We hope you enjoyed it, and if you did, make sure to subscribe to us wherever you like to listen to podcasts if you haven't already. And if you want to write into the into your show. If you want to write into your show, if you want to write into the show with your thoughts or predictions on the shows we cover in Watch Club, well, let me just, I'm just going to shout, climb over to Darcy to let you know how you can reach us. Okay. Well, uh, they can always reach us at wearegeekcentric at gmail.com. That's wearegeekcentric at gmail.com. But if that's too much like getting crushed between two pallets of your stolen heist, then... uh, you can reach us over on Instagram at WeAreGeekCentric or on Twitter at GeekCentricYT. Yeah, we promise you it won't cost that much <laughs> for you to do, both in credits <laughs> and in lives. It won't cost that much uh, to reach out to us. Keep in mind, we have a ton of other episodes covering the latest and greatest shows and movies out now, like our recent spoiler-filled discussion for Werewolf by Night. Uh, we also have a spoiler-free discussion for Werewolf by Night, a review uh, that you can check out if you haven't watched it yet. Uh, and we also have spoiler-free reviews for Andor, uh, which by this point, like, whatever, I guess you're not going to listen <laughs> to that. But we also have <laughs> we have spoiler-free reviews for Amsterdam and Hocus Pocus 2. And we have a ton of interviews, like interviews with uh, some of the cast of this very show. We spoke to Adria Arjona, who plays Bix, Den- Denise Gove, who plays Dedra Miro, Kyle Soler, who plays Cyril, uh, and the illustrious... Mon Mothma herself, Genevieve O'Reilly. So go check out those interviews both here on podcast services and on YouTube at youtube.com slash geekcentric. Uh, and if you enjoyed this watch club, we recently wrapped up our She-Hulk Attorney at Law Watch Club. The entire season of that show is out on Disney Plus and our entire season of watch clubs is out wherever you like to listen to podcasts. So go check that out if you haven't already. We also have our weekly This Week in Geek episodes out every single Wednesday where we break down our thoughts on the latest news and trailers surrounding all the things we love with our most recent episode where Kevin Darcy and I share our thoughts on the recent casting of Harrison Ford, Han Solo, as Thaddeus Ross in the MCU. And lastly, Justin and Kevin 
uh, recently got to witness the hierarchy of the city of Toronto change uh, when they stood a stone's throw away from Dwayne The Rock Johnson at the gold carpet premiere for uh, for DC's Black Adam. And they have some lightning reactions, uh, and they've, they've also got their spoiler-free review alongside their impressions of the event out now. So go give those episodes a listen, a like, a subscribe, five-star review if you don't mind. And if you're a Clerks fan, by the way, I almost forgot to leave, put this in here, Darcy and Kevin got to meet... The Kevin, you got to actually meet the mm-hmm. the the Kevin Smith, um, mm-hmm. Darcy. Obviously, without any spoilers, there. What was that like? Uh, he's such a chill guy, and I think he was just as high as I was when I met him. So that's, <laughs> that's always awesome. good to see. That's fantastic. <laughs> uh, so if you want to hear their thoughts on the on on meeting Kevin Smith and their review of Clerks Three, uh, definitely go check out that episode as well. Darcy, thank you so much for joining me for this Watch Club. And as we say. Rebellions, Rebellions are, are built, built on, on hope. hope. Nailed, Nailed it. it. <laughs>